0: This is the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast.
1: We are your study buddies for neonatology topics.
0: I'm Dr. Ben Korsha.
1: And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbeau.
0: Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Thursday. Daphna, we're making it happen this week, huh?
1: <laughs> we're we're stringing along this week, but you know, I'm sure lots of people listening may be feeling the same way.
0: I'm, I'm I'm considering coining the term the doctor's fallacy because, like everybody, I'm sure we said we're on this trip for this conference and we're going to get a ton mm-hmm. of stuff done. We're going to get so much recording done and none of it is happening. We're behind. That's right. And, and We're behind and it's the
1: same. instead of ahead. Yeah.
0: And it's the same like when you're on call, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to go on call and I'm going to work on this presentation. Nothing happens.
1: Or yeah, the week after service where you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to get caught up. I don't, know, I don't have a lot going on. I'll it takes just you until Wednesday morning
0: to recover. Just
1: <laughs> you know, we just have to have some grace with ourselves right. and some empathy for ourselves and just just keep plugging along I guess yeah
0: so I'm not sure what we're going to talk about um,
1: today there's a bunch of articles <laughs> if you're not sure who's sure it's a problem <laughs> but there's <laughs> Because there are too many articles, you're saying. No, I think there are too many things we wanted to cover. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a
0: disclaimer before we begin. There's a lot of stuff that that is worthy looking at when it comes to phototherapy, yeah. and I've picked a few topics that I thought were either relevant or slash interesting, and and I may be omitting some other stuff. But again, we're, we're trying to pique your interest as usual. We try to get you on the track. So, for example, I was thinking about. Reviewing some stuff about transcutaneous bilirubin, but it's it's pretty cut and dry. The data that's out there, so you can look it up. But the stuff mm-hmm. we're going to talk about is actually interesting.
1: You- <laughs> How about you give us a one-liner on transcutaneous bilirubin now that you've it's, piqued everybody's interest? It's reliable. <laughs> ah, is it? Well, it's um, for if you if you haven't been following the show closely or you missed those episodes. This was a this was a, a debate for us, right?
0: Maybe maybe we can dedicate a whole week to transcutaneous bilirubinemia and just battle battle it out.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that it's a reliable, it's reliable, non-invasive means of evaluating. I mean, at the end
0: of the day, it's it's probably not the, the if you need if, if you can do one if you can only do one bilirubin check, right, to find out what's the most accurate. S- Level of bilirubin, probably you should do a serum. But what you what if you, you're following bilirubin like most of us are doing, which is I'm just trying to follow like every couple of hours, um, a transcutaneous is quite reliable. The numbers may not be super accurate, but the variation in the numbers is reliable. Anyway,
1: that's mm-hmm. not that's not good. The trend yeah, is reliable. Yeah. yeah,
0: good, fine. So the first topic I wanted to. Um, talk about was intermittent phototherapy, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think this is an interesting topic. When, when uh, I was in residency, I remember we used to say like, oh, it's, it's just disrupt phototherapy as little as possible, right? Just keep mm-hmm. the baby under the lights as long as possible. And the idea of un- intermittent phototherapy really is the question of do we need continuous phototherapy or we can just cycle or provide intermittent phototherapy for like several hours in a day and then take a break. Um, and so there was this interesting study called Intermittent versus Continuous Phototherapy for the Treatment of Neonatal Non-Hemolytic Moderate, Moderate hyperbilirubinemia Rubinemia in Infants More Than 34 Weeks of Gestational Age, a Randomized cl- Controlled Trial by Monica Sachdeva, which was published in the European Journal of Pediatrics in 2014. This is data from Hyderabad in India. Um I really hope I didn't make a mistake in that. But let's just let's just cross our fingers that I I, I read this paper correctly. <laughs> um, oh my! <laughs> I mean, I just have now. I have a doubt about whether Hyderabad is in India. You see, that's mm. it's not really. I have read the paper, um, and now and now that's it. Now I can't. I found the paper. Yeah, Hyderabad in India. Good. Okay. <laughs> so. This group designed a study to find out whether intermittent phototherapy, um, which they basically defined as doing 12 hours on, 12 hours off, would be as effective as continuous phototherapy, which means you just leave the phototherapy on, in a a cohort of term slash preterm infants. So all the babies were above 34 weeks of gestation. They uh, enrolled babies that the the exclusion criteria were extensive, which I think were good. So no ABO incompatibility, Mm -hmm. no exchange level, no congenital malformation, no excessive like, you know, like sometimes you have babies that don't have the ABO incompatibility diagnosed, but there's like an excessive rise. So that was excluded. Like if they were admitted to the NICU for other stuff that was excluded, all the direct components. Anyway, very extensive. And the way they did it was after eight hours of phototherapy, the babies were randomized to either continue on a continuous phototherapy uh, treatment or intermittent. Uh, the phototherapy was discontinued when the levels reached uh, less than 13 milligrams per deciliter. And the primary outcome of that study was the rate of fall of bilirubin. And they ended up enrolling 75 infants, 36 in the intermittent, 39 in the continuous group, the mean Total serum bilirubin on admission was 16.9 in the intermittent and 17.3 in the continuous group. Uh, continuous group, which, by the way, when you read these papers on bilirubin, like these numbers are way too high for my comfort level. But yeah, <laughs> and and we'll talk about some more. Right. So it's like 17 is oh, I, I get palpitations. Mm-hmm. But the rate of fall of bilirubin was significantly higher in the intermittent phototherapy compared mm-hmm. to the continuous phototherapy. Now, I think this is not really how i would present this data to you because when you look at it the um the um, the difference was 0.18 versus Mm 0.13 milligram per deciliter per hour so it's like it's not a huge huge difference right it's it ends up being significant but i think what this shows instead of thinking about oh intermittent is better Intermittent is—it's
1: not worse. It's not
0: worse, (laughs) exactly. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and that's huge. That's a big deal. Yeah, right. In terms of bonding and kangaroo care, skin to skin, and uh, breastfeeding, um, you know, being letting parents be able to touch their babies. I think this is a big deal. Yeah,
0: I could not. I could not agree with you more. Um, Um. And so obviously. The one of the other conclusion was that the median duration of phototherapy was significantly lower in the intermittent group compared mm-hmm. to the continuous group, which is a no-brainer. And uh, mm-hmm. none of the babies enrolled in that study ever needed uh, IV fluids or an exchange transfusion. So good for them. Interestingly enough, I'm going to skip over this quickly, but I want the audience to know that there's a JAMA-PEDS article, which we'll put on our show notes, where they looked at this exact idea of cycling phototherapy on ELBW infants weighing less than a 1,000 grams. Mm-hmm. And It showed that there's a significant reduction in the exposure to phototherapy. Again, no brainer, but that the total serum bilirubin level in those babies was just non-significantly, but still slightly higher. So the 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 total serum bilirubin in these infants were like on average 7.1 versus 6.4, so slightly higher, but not ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is a very interesting idea, like you said. When it comes to bonding, I don't really know if um, if this idea of cycling the phototherapy is something that's something that needs to be implemented rigidly. But I remember when I was a resident telling parents, like right. to feed quickly and then put the baby right back, right? Um, that's so, right. So you can actually probably promote some bonding with the, with the parents and you can say, yeah, just feed your baby, mm-hmm. burp your baby, take your time and then put the baby back. Of note, these are, remember, the exclusion criteria of these studies. We're not talking about Crohn's positive, right. and mm-hmm. we're talking about babies that have no additional risk factors, except maybe a little bit of early uh, early term.
1: And of note, given the things we learned about earlier in the week, they put the babies on for eight hours first, yeah, they, right? They, they, and then they started cycling. Yeah. So. We know that most of your uh, lumirubin is produced in the first four to six hours. So I think that's an important point, Agreed. too, that, you know, let's get the baby on, you know, get your four-hour to six-hour first measurement on phototherapy, and then make sure you're going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But it's,
0: it's good. So this, this discussion leads to my next topic, which was if you, if you can effectively reduce the exposure to phototherapy, why do you care as a physician? Um, Mm -hmm. we talked about bonding, but like what else? So obviously there's a big discussion. And if you're not aware of this, you should be aware of this about whether phototherapy is associated with increased childhood cancer. Um, and that's something that there's been, it's, it's, I think something that as a clinician, you need to be aware of because the data has shifted over time. We reviewed the most recent paper on the, on the incubator podcast, not too long ago, but we should go over this quickly just for the sake of argument. So there was initial data that had shown that phototherapy was associated with an increased risk of childhood cancer. And and that really became a problem because now parents may have really been on top of it and saying, hey, like, I, I want to minimize the exposure of phototherapy mm-hmm. as much as possible. What was interesting, obviously, was that these were uh, data from, from data sets. So the, in the case of the papers published in Pediatrics by the group from Thomas Newman, um, Really, there was always an issue of who do you include in these uh, in these cohorts, and initially, everybody was sort of bundled together. But eventually, they mm-hmm. realized like maybe the babies with Down syndrome who are at an increased risk for cancer at baseline should be excluded, mm-hmm. and also maybe babies who have not really physiologic jaundice, which means like they have a really elevated bilirubin like in the first 24 hours of life, and we know that jaundice in the first 24 hours of life is is not normal. So they had published an initially a study uh, several years back, and they they published again in uh, 2021 in pediatrics called Update on Phototherapy and Childhood Cancer in the Northern California cohort. And this was a massive study. It included 139,100 children Mm -hmm. born at 35 weeks or more between 1995 and 2017, and they followed them through 2019. In the Kaiser Permanente Northern California Hospital, and it's it's a it's it has all the the pitfalls of a database. It has a huge data set, great, but for example, the phototherapy information is minimal. So they only know whether these kids mm-hmm. either received or did not receive phototherapy. How much phototherapy were they exposed to? How does that correlate to potentially childhood cancer? That stuff is just not available in the data that they had on hand, and. Obviously, they did this this propensity score quintiles and propensity score matching in order to remove the patients that we were talking about, like the patients with Down syndrome and the patients with Uh, non-really physiologic jaundice. And what they found was over a follow-up period of about 8.2 years, the crude incidence of cancer per 100,000 person-years was 25.1 among those exposed to phototherapy and 19.2 amongst those non-exposed. So you're like, oh boy, is it increased? However, once you do the propensity adjustment, phototherapy was not associated with any cancer. Um, And the confidence interval was 0.83 to 1.54. Hematopoietic cancer as well, or solid tumor, and there was no association with cancer diagnoses at age four years of age or more. So, I think, in my opinion, this is something that's a very important for counseling because this is data that is not easy to interpret that parents may stumble across uh, in research, and and I think it's important to know what what the data looks like. So far, so good.
1: Yes. Okay. So th- and that's good news too Yeah, that's
0: right <laughs> um so the next paper I wanted to uh talk about was this whole idea of the dose response or high intensity phototherapy right we've we've talked about, we've alluded to that in the mm-hmm. we've alluded to that in the in the podcast in the, in the in the days past where we said there's irradiance that's high intensity it's considered like thirty um microwatts right but what about when we say hey put like 16 lights on the baby and <laughs> that's <laughs> how to get that bilirubin down so there's 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 not there's not a lot of data on that so i found a paper in acta pediatrica called high intensity phototherapy for the treatment of severe non hemolytic neonatal hyperbilirubinemia first author is manuel de carvalho and this is from a group in brazil it's an observational study they looked at 116 infants that um, that basically had uh, this is another one of those where the the the, the 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 babies had to have what they called severe neonatal hyperbilirubinemia, which went, which was mm-hmm. a total serum bilirubin of twenty milligrams per deciliter or more. Again,
1: yeah. it's like whew. <laughs> I would call that severe, severe
0: indeed. <laughs> um, and they exposed the babies to an irradiance that was superior to uh, thirty uh, microwatts per um, microwatts per centimeter square per nanometer. And what they found was the um, initial mean total serum belly was 22.4. And the percent decrease in serum belly at 2, 4, 6, 12, 18, and 24 hours were 9.4, 16%, 23%, 40%, 44%, and 50% respectively. Uh, No infant treated received an exchange transfusion. The uh, ABR were performed in 100% of the patient's. And uh, in three of them, only the uh, examination was altered. However, when they repeated them later, they were all normal. So high-intensity phototherapy seems to work. But I was a bit more curious. And that pu- paper was published in 2011. But I was I was more interested also in in comparing, um, is it better, right? I mean, I know, okay, it works, but should I just increase? Mm-hmm. And so I, I found another paper from published in Pediatrics a, about a year later in 2012. Mm-hmm. This paper is... is Title is great. Dose Response Relationship of Phototherapy for hyperbilirubinemia. First author is Pernil Cure Ventborg, and this is from a group out of, out of Denmark. And what they were saying was asking exactly the question, is there a saturation point? Which means like, is there a certain irradiation level mm-hmm. that after a certain point, you, you increase it and it's just not going to make any difference. And so what they did is that they, they looked at 151 infants with a gestational age of 33 weeks or more with, again most of these papers that we're talking about today, uncomplicated hyperbilirubinemia, and they were randomized to one of four distances from the phototherapy device to the mattress, uh, 20, 29, 38, or 47 centimeters. And the total serum bilirubin was measured before and after 24 hours of phototherapy and irradiance every eight hour. And the main outcome was the 24-hour decrease in total serum bilirubin percent. And so, um, obviously... For the people who are not physics major, like myself, um, moving, right? I mean, I, don't, I want you to understand that by moving the distance, by by moving the distance <laughs> of the light, you're, you're altering the, the, ira- the irradiance, right? So
1: Decreasing
0: the irradiance. You're decreasing. You're altering it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you're you're yeah. changing it right yeah. yeah. So the results were a highly significant linear relation between light irradiance. Um, when the irradiance increased from 20 to 55 microwatts per centimeter square per nanometer, um, the the change in serum billy increased from approximately thirty uh, percent to fifty percent. In addition, smooth regression showed no tendency for the delta TSB to level off as irradiation increased. Right. So the, so the if you we will you will see in the PowerPoint the the you will see the the graph where it's basically a straight line. Right. The thing that they were postulating was is this going to be like a normal gram where it levels off after a certain point but no it kept it kept rising it's not like the slope is not insane like it's not like really a a straight up line and the points are scattered a little Mm -hmm. bit around but it is it it is a linear relationship for sure and so um Um, so by the, the conclusion of that paper was that by using light emitting diodes, they found a linear relationship between light irradiance in the range of 20 to 55 microwatts per centimeter squared per nanometer and a decrease in total serum bilirubin after 24 hours of therapy with no evidence of a saturation point. I, I couldn't really find anything that looked at anything higher higher than that. (laughs) Um, yeah, me either. All right. So, so that, that's, that, that answers a little bit of the question whether, does it really matter whether I order like triple or quadruple, there, there's... Sorry,
1: there was one paper mm-hmm. I, I'm remembering. The problem with the paper, they were comparing uh, double and triple th- phototherapy um, in pediatric neonatology 2009. That did not show a difference in mean length of hospital stay uh between groups um and no significant difference in the rate of bilirubin decline. Um however, I'm trying to remember the because I don't think they said the exact irradiance, no. right? Yeah, yeah. Like did they? That's the problem. Yeah. Is um some of the studies are saying which lights. And I guess, you know, you can assume that they used the 30 of a radiance for each light, uh, but we, I don't a know. A little bit sure.
0: like the study in Brazil where they said high intensity was defined as, as above 30, but it's like, was right. it 40? Was it 50? Was it 60? Th- that right. information you don't have. The report is quite short. Right. Um, and obviously I didn't, I didn't try to get in touch with the authors to try to get that answer. Um, but yeah, so I'm already um, overstaying my time. But there's one more idea that I want to bring up on the podcast. That's just just to spark, like as a, as a stick of dynamite, to just you know let uh, people uh-huh. go crazy. Let's hear it. So the there were some papers that had shown that putting babies under phototherapy um, led to increased incidence of PDA's, right? And, and that became a big deal, right, to say, like, holy moly, if I put, so you're saying that if I put a baby under, under phototherapy, um, these kids are going to have um, an increased incidence of a patent ductus arteriosus. And that evidence was then uh, substantiated by in vitro studies that had shown that constricted arteries relax when exposed to light. So what Mm -hmm. you were hoping was like a PDA that was in the process of closing when suddenly exposed to light, could it just reopen? Right. And, um, and so the, the, it's not really that the PDA would become more clinically significant, but as it was mentioned in other articles, the question was, has phototherapy now been associated with failure of closure of the ductus arteriosus, right. In preterm infants. Mm -hmm. And so, There's a lot of studies. There's not a lot of studies, actually. I take that back. But there's people who have looked at, okay, should we account for this? And so the way they've done it is by applying a foil or a shield over the baby's chest to bounce off the Mm -hmm. rays of phototherapy uh, in order to avoid having the phototherapy affect Mm. that area of the heart where the PDA is supposed to close. Um, I mean, there's already so much on these poor tiny kids that I, I can't imagine having to now... Fit a um, fit a uh, a shield and It'd
1: be like a you know like a thymus protector for it's like a it's like uh, a bikini I think for X rays like a, a, a,
0: an <laughs> aluminum bikini <laughs> diaper on the bottom and 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 uh, aluminum on the top.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's very interesting that um, so I want to I want to talk first about. So, the, so there was this paper in Acta Pediatrica called Patent Ductus Arteriosus in Extremely Preterm Infant Receiving Phototherapy. Does shielding the chest make a difference? A randomized control trial. It was a small trial where they looked at babies that were like 27, 28 weeks of gestation, and they basically randomized them to either a shield or not a shield. They had 27 babies in each group, and they, they assessed the PDAs before phototherapy started. And after phototherapy started... And what they found was that there was no difference in the group's post-phototherapy in the incidence between uh, PDA, no PDA, doctoral size, and the LA over AAO ratio. That was published in 2006. And what's interesting is that then there were some mid-analysis, systematic reviews that were published. Most interestingly, in 2015, the Cochrane Library published a -hmm. review called Chest shielding for prevention of a hemodynamically significant PDA in preterm infants receiving phototherapy, and that was published in 2015, which included the, patient, the the study I just mentioned, published in 2006, but only was able to find two studies addressing this issue, and this really did not lead to enough data for them to um, make a recommendation mm. whether, um, to make a recommendation whether shielding the chest uh, made any difference. Um now in terms of the this st- one of the studies obviously was the one mentioned in 2006 and the other one I'm not really going to bore you with the details but it was a study done in 1986 and as much as I respect the investigators from 1986 I think too much has changed to really decide and so they en- and so they enrolled patient who had an unknown ductal status on the first day um undergoing prophylactic phototherapy and then they they che- the um The the trial reported that anterior chest shielding resulted in a significant reduction in PDA detected by the presence of a murmur and confirmed echocardiographically. Um, They also reported a significant reduction in hemodynamically significant PDA and treatment with indomethacin. Again, again, It's always difficult when you're talking about 1986, considering pulmonology and the way we've advanced in terms of managing the the lungs of these kids, whether the data really applies. And so the bottom line is that I think the Cochrane Library was correct. This one study from 1986, this one study from 2006 didn't give you enough data to whether say you should shield the chest. And then what was interesting was that a year later in the American Journal of Perinatology in 2017... And they published a mid analysis of the effects of shielding on preventing patent ductus arteriosus in preterm infants. And in that, um, in that study, they um, basically only used the same studies that were <laughs> used in the Cochrane Library. That's right. And somehow they said, they concluded that chest shielding during phototherapy may be associated with decreased incidence of PDA among premature infants. So they actually took a stand. Based on mm-hmm. the evidence, and again, this was mostly driven by this 1986 study. So, take that with a grain of salt. But I think it's—I mean—I'm way over time. But this is kind of interesting.
1: But we can add it to our—we can add it to our list of gaps in study, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting that there's in vitro data. I think it's interesting that mm-hmm. we have two two mid analyses that give different results. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think they, they showed the same results, but I think the Cochrane Library was was yeah. diligent enough to say we cannot make a, a proclamation on to what what we sh- what's the evidence showing. But uh, yeah, fascinating uh, topic of phototherapy.
1: I thought you were going to tell us about foil.
0: Well, I think I think we did touch on <laughs> we did touch on on irradiance and 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 I think that uh, yeah I didn't have uh, yeah I didn't have time.
1: Um, that's okay. I I'll give you the I'll give you the brief. I'll give you the brief. What's, okay. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So there was a 2020 Cochrane review um on the use of reflective materials um uh, during phototherapy uh with unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia. And uh overall they looked at um 11 studies uh 12, 12, 12 studies. studies yeah. 12 studies. Um and uh each of those studies individually showed uh a an a statistically significant reduction in bilirubin um with uh reflective uh materials um and so the Cochrane review um the, the conclusion was moderate certainty evidence shows that use of reflective curtains during phototherapy may result in greater decline um in serum bilirubin uh, very low certainty evidence suggests that the duration of phototherapy is reduced and moderate certainty evidence shows that the duration of hospital stay is also reduced.
0: Yeah. This is, and this uh-huh. is, and this is unusual, right? For, for the Cochrane library to actually, it's most of the time in neonatology, it's like there's not enough evidence. Um, yeah. But yeah, reflective material work. But I do think it goes back to this idea of high radiance
1: uh, works. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, see you tomorrow. that's it. We're way over time. Thanks, all, thanks for hanging in there. <laughs>
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to NICUpodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUpodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.